you know, for one horrible second, I was like, oh, God. We're, we're going to have a thing, aren't we? Where it's just going to be bad episode after bad episode. Thankfully, I actually rather enjoyed this one. Although, I mean, I would enjoy it more if it actually paid off. But I'll, let's move forwards. First thing is we see another one of those effective and good cold opens. No, pun intended. Where this is clearly designed for recurring viewers. Now, as I've said many times, you know, cold opens are for people who are new and who people who are old. A.K.A. people who are invested already and people who are wondering if they should get into the show. I will always prefer a cold open that really only works for someone who's already invested. The kind of thing that literally doesn't work unless you're invested. Um, the opening of Conundrum over in TNG is a great example of that. And so is this one. They open this up, you know, someone who's brand new to the series watches this and is like, who are these people? Why are, why are they talking about eyesight? Uh, what? Klingon, huh? You know, there's no context given for anything. And there shouldn't be. It's for recurring viewers. So the idea of removing genetic enhancements... Genetic enhancements feels like the wrong word, honestly. This is effectively straight-up tampering. Like, cyberpunk, basically, except it's biological rather than technological. Still, same concept, right? So we're removing your improved eyesight. Okay, that's kind of neat. Do you have to do it in this room where everything's kind of temporally offset? I'm just saying, there's probably better places to do eye surgery. <sighs> Anyways. So then we find out about movie night, where they watch a terrible movie. Why? Now I know what you're thinking. Well, there's a lot of enjoyment that can be had from terrible movies. And you're right, but apparently no one enjoyed it. Which leads me to the question, how did they decide what to watch? Do they leave it on random? Is there a vote? Is there like a series... Uh, and, and I say a vote. As I have recently been studying a great deal, there are many, many ways to vote. And so even that question has like a dozen internal questions if they are voting for it. Which makes me wonder how this could possibly be going this way. Maybe they used first-to-post system and... A few people decided, hey, I want to watch that terrible movie, and everyone else voted for, like, one thing separate from each other, so the majority rules, which means the terrible thing, which had, you know, a small number of people, but more than anyone else, is the one that wins, which is why first-to-post system kind of sucks. But I'm, I'm not here to talk about voting. I just want to bang my ankle on my table. <laughs> that's, that's really what I'm here to do every day. I watch Enterprise and bang my ankle. Okay. <clears throat> so Captain Fraddock shows up. I kind of like him. They do a good job with him. He's just so... Uh, Tuesday, again. You know, he's just there's just this kind of weariness of this guy. He's just doing his job, and he doesn't feel like dealing with any of this. And uh, Yeah, I've been ferrying these people here for a while. Why, do you want to say hi to them? Like, he's he is surprisingly cordial for being someone who's just too tired. He's getting too old for this, right? He does a really good job of that, and I, and I like it. It adds to the, to the enjoyment. In fact, I'd say just about everyone does a good job in this episode. It's part of what elevates the episode for me. Then, of course, speaking of everyone doing a good job, we then have the people who come over. The religious people, right? Is it recording? I hit something by accident. Nope, we're good, we're good. So the religious people, 
faith people? Maybe faith is a better word, because religion's an organization. This is more about faith and spirituality. So the faith people come over, and they're amiable too. They're cordial. They're helpful. Hi, what's up? We're here to help. Cool. They're neat. Um, they're nice. They're understandable. And then there's this actually really cool bit where we see Silic for a second, and then the scene moves on. I really like that. It's actually astonishingly understated for what shows like this would usually do. Have the camera sit on him for a moment, have the music be like... Duh, 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 duh. Basically treating you like you're a moron and making it really obvious that that's a bad guy. Instead, the camera just shows to him for a second and then moves on. In other words, trusting that you can recognize the actor under the makeup. And, of course, the episode's drawing attention to him, so you know to look to begin with. I think that's a good middle ground. It's some good directing work, which is funny because this episode was directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, a.k.a. Tom Paris, and he does a good job, especially later, which I'll cover uh, in a bit. So, <clears throat> they have this faith debate. It's actually a really good scene. It's just them debating different faiths, uh, some on Earth, some on one on Vulcan, and of course the ones that they postulate here. And it's treated with a surprising amount of respect. It's not quite Babylon 5, but they do a decent job of it. Archer, of course, dodges the question entirely as to what faith he belongs to, because, as we all know, there's only one thing Starfleet officers believe in, and that's the Prime Directive. I'm barely kidding about that. But either way... As he uh, dodges around that. We also get something interesting. Four months, three weeks, six days. That's how long it's been since they launched. Now, as we'll find out later, some of the episodes are a little out of order from each other because continuity and production, but it's nice that they kind of keep track. This is not the first time they have mentioned how long they've been out, and this time is longer out than the previous time. Going through this time around, I've noticed tiny little touches of what I usually refer to as setting continuity in the background, like the duration, or how far they've come, or little comments about things they've already interacted with in previous episodes. Just little stuff. Little stuff that helps flesh out the work a surprising amount. I really appreciate these little tidbits of continuity, as I talked about when we were going through TNG. It's not quite string continuity. That's different. This is more like the feel that the episode actually follows the preceding episode, something that Voyager failed miserably at, for example. Now, I've comment on that as well, because this is probably the best uh, in-between thing I've ever heard anyone come up with, with regards to the two mentalities of television. One is, we want everything to be contiguous in one solid story arc, and the other is, every episode must be able to be played in any order, because that's the preference of you know, the studio executives. I... Obviously, I'm in favor of this one. But to be clear, I'm fine with both. And ideally, I'd think it would be nice if we had one Star Trek show that was one, and one Star Trek show that was the other. I think that'd be cool, personally. There's nothing wrong with just having a series of episodes of about adventures and stuff happening in space, right? I like the Twilight Zone. But the reason I, I seem like I come so hard on the continuity thing is because Star Trek usually has such flimsy continuity. Thus, Star Trek has always been this thing, not counting Discovery or Picard, which I haven't watched yet. And thus, I tend to be like, ooh, when it comes to this thing. Even Deep Space Nine only dipped in and out of continuity and had only two real instances of string continuity. One during the initial Dominion invasion, and one during the conclusion of the show. 
Now, the reason I'm talking about all of this here is that this in-betweeny thing basically makes it so that if you watched this episode, uh, this is a bad episode, actually, to explain it, but if you watched a general episode in out of order from other episodes, for the most part, you wouldn't really be lost here, same as in TNG. There are a few things you might not catch, but you will still be able to enjoy that individual episode. However, if you have been following the show, then those little tidbits help to add a little bit to the background, hence why I call this background continuity. It's the same thing with having recurring uh, non-speaking roles. I can't remember what that's called for some reason. In the background, you know, having the same guest stars or having the same people playing the, the minor roles in the background really helps to add to that kind of feeling of flow and contingency, right? Contiguousness. I don't know where I got with contingency. I'm a little tired, forgive me. Moving on. So, they have the faith thing. Uh, Reed talks about being secret. There's this nice little bit where Travis is like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and sit on the on, in the command chair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's Reed. And Reed's like, permission to take my station, sir. It's a nice little scene, but what I find interesting is Tra Travis could have easily said, well, the chair doesn't mean anything. Let me, this is going to sound like the worst analogy I've ever used, but hear me out. The chair doesn't mean anything to Travis yet because it's not his chair. He hasn't earned it yet. He doesn't actually have it, so that's just a, a brief fantasy. Now, there's nothing wrong with a brief fantasy, but a brief fantasy is not going to have the same overall impact as something more real. Now, I said I'd use an analogy here, so I'm going to use sex. Go ahead, get it out of your system. For me, and for some other people I could mention, I mean, no judgment if you want to go look at a naked woman on the internet or in a bar or whatever. Obviously, as long as we're staying safe, Staying sane and consensual, whatever, right? And if you want to go have a fling, or a one-night stand, or whatever, just hook up with someone, again, bar. Again, as long as you're safe, sane, consensual, who cares? Go for it. But that's ultimately a fantasy. It doesn't have the same impact as someone you're really into. Someone who really wants to give themselves to you, and you to them. Thus allowing for more investment, more significance and more overall meaning, enjoyment, etc., right? Now, you're probably disagreeing with me, and that's totally cool. But I thought I'd use that as an analogy, because I think that also helps to explain one of the reasons I tend to be so against the romance of the week on this show, and every other show I cover, is because it's just a fling. And half the time it's a fling because it's a checkbox. I'm against checkboxes, and I'm not particularly in favor of flings. So, well... I'm saying that wrong. I have no interest in flings. Let me put it that way. So it's something I'm not interested in that's done badly. Although, as I've pointed out many times, Star Trek has actually managed my romance of the week pretty well several times. Because it is possible to do that. Because, again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with just having a fling. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with just deciding to sit on the chair and just enjoy the moment of feeling what it would be like to be captain. But that's all it is a moment. And then it's gone, and then you're back to your normal life. It's when you've actually earned it, when you've worked up to it. When it's real, that's when that will have meaning. Then you can enjoy sitting on the chair long term. Sense make? So, 
there's this really nice bit where Tucker's discussing the warp core. And he's obviously enthusiastic about it, which is nice to begin with. But then the one guy says, well, yeah, warp field such and such. He's like, what? And the guy's like, yeah, I'm a warp uh, warp field theorist. Oh, okay. And the other guy says, how do you balance this and this and that and that? And Tucker's like, that's a good question. Let's go answer that. It's a nice moment. And I want to give praise to it because, especially Star Trek, but let's be honest, fiction in general has a tendency to portray anything religious which tends to include faith, belief, and religion, as morons. Or, you know, Bible thumpers, or people who are zealots or extremists or whatever. Star Trek has done this many times. I think uh, the Bajoran faith also kind of drifted in and out of good, or bad, or extremist, but that's okay because they showed it as a full, you know, gradient of different types of people who would be involved in that. As opposed to, say, Voyager, but I'm getting off topic. I think it's a nice touch. That's all. I just wanted to mention that. Especially since it's a great way to distract them from Silic saving the ship. This is when the episode really gets clever. Because what the episode is doing... This is subverting expectations, by the way. I know that phrase has a lot of baggage lately because of creators over and misusing that phrase. But there's nothing wrong with a proper application of subverting expectations. See, I talk many times about the Hitchcock thing, right? about uh, the, the rules of suspense, okay? What we think is going on is we know and the audience doesn't. Or, I'm saying that wrong, the characters don't. You know, we know there's a bomb under the table, but the character does not. So we're like, oh my god. We're super tense, because we know Silic's there, and they don't. Oh no, and then he goes and he fiddles with something. Oh crap, sabotage. But what's actually happening is neither of us know. The characters don't know he's there, and we don't know why he's there. So, what it, what, this is actually a wonderful application of that. And I really like how he ends up saving the ship. It's a shame because I really hate that the ship nearly exploded. Now, you're probably thinking, wait, what? Do you ever see Emergence over on TNG? I hated that episode, but... One of the things that I hated most about it was the fact that if we hadn't moved on from this thing that our sensors are not programmed to detect, we would have died in seconds. Thankfully, this is our proof that the ship has become sentient, is the fact that we all nearly died without even realizing it was coming. Now, I know what you're going to say. Life is dangerous, and every now and again you just get run over by a car, metaphorically speaking. And that's true. But I don't really enjoy the storytelling trope of, oh, by the way, the entire ship of main characters just almost died out of nowhere if not for a freak accident. Something about that just really rubs me the wrong way, and I think it's because of the fact that if you're going to apply that mentality, then there should probably be a lot more accidents like that, which are averted, but that never comes up because the only time it actually comes up is when it's some freak thing that prevents it, like the Enterprise becoming sentient, or a freaking time traveler like in this episode. So as with my previous comments, I feel like it's the application of the all runner by the car thing, not the actual reality of it. I don't know. Either way, feel free to tell me I'm stupid on this one. I don't know. So, plasma storm happens, storm happens, oh my god, it's going straight towards, and we see, the camera follows it, and nope, nope, everyone's fine. Huh. Then Tucker finds out, 
Tucker figures it out relatively quickly. One scene change, and he's like, yeah, Captain, I've, I've got something to share with you here. Arch is like, what is it? Tucker's like, well... And sure enough, we see that someone has done it. Archer kind of dismisses it until Tucker's like, no, Captain, I'm, I'm being real here. Someone who is not a part of our crew fiddled with our warp engine and saved the ship. That's an unusual mystery to have. A mystery person came in and fiddled with your ship in a very specific way that saved everyone. So then he decides to start interrogating about, you know, maybe someone from the other ship did it. You know, there were there was the warp theorist and there were people who know what they were talking about, so maybe one of them did it. They all insist, no, we get to see Captain Fraddock again. He's enjoyable as always. Then Daniels pulls him aside. Now, this is one of those funny things, isn't it? Daniels is just a low-level crewman and Archer's got a lot on his mind, so he has to say something to get his attention. So he name drops the Sullivan. And the fact that Archer did some things on the Helix, which he shouldn't know about. That's important, because he needed to get his attention, and then once he has his attention, he needs to go ahead and apply it properly. I found myself wondering if Daniels was assigned to the NX-01, or if his records and inferment was actually kind of faked, you know, like if he was just dropped in. I'm just curious, because I could see it going either way with this show. Either way, this is Daniels' first appearance, by the way. I've actually been looking for it specifically in order to answer that question. But no, this is the first time this actor has been on this show. So, I know, we can always excuse this in the background, but you get the point. Either way, a lot of the way he talks about tends to infer the idea that Daniels only recently actually showed up and probably fiddled with things in order to make it seem like he had been here for a while and so that no one would question him. He is certainly not actually a member of Starfleet, he kind of hints at being a member of something else. My first thought was, of course, Section 31, but I believe the truth is actually just the Federation, which, remember, doesn't actually exist yet. And, of course, he doesn't want to talk about the Federation, because why would he? In fact, if you'll notice, almost all the info that he dumps on Archer is info that won't actually really pollute anything, since it's just an expansion of what he already knows. This is how we watch things. This is the nature of the Temporal Cold War, and this is the nature of why the Temporal Accords are a thing. It's basically everything I already talked to you about all the way back in Broken Bow, so I don't have anything new to add there. I do find myself wondering if he is a member of Section 31, though. You can't tell me Section 31 wouldn't have involvement in temporal affairs. Anyways, so they show off the Temporal Observatory. Now, that's insane, because what that is is a device that is accurately measuring not only time, but can detect alterations to time. That's crazy. And we can also see why it's so important. In that scene, Daniel says several things which actually get across a lot of information. My favorite is another inference of the fact that Future Guy is actually Archer. No, really. One of the things that's mentioned is that Future Guy can't actually project himself back. I want you to remember that, too, by the way. Instead, he can only send back information and, you know, just a bit of communication. Whereas now, we're a bit more advanced. And he specifically says, how did he phrase it? Uh, eventually, we perfected the process. That's a very minor line, but taken into context of everything else, what is being said there is that we, the same organization Future Guy is a part of, eventually perfected time travel to the point where we could do this kind of thing. 
And if we are to presume that they always planned for future Guy to be Archer, this would make sense. This is a good time to mention that this is written by a producer and a story editor who have done very little other writing for anything Star Trek. But both of them were heavily involved in being producers and story editors for Season 1 and Season 2 of Enterprise. In other words, while this show didn't really have a showrunner up until Season 3, these guys are pretty close to being part of the core writing team that would be the equivalent of a showrunner team, which I mention because I think, based on this information, we could take this at face value and actually think that these are little tidbits of hinting that are being dropped into the narrative. The other thing I wanted to mention about it, he's he talks about the temporal accords, which is one of those duh things. I, 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 I'm sorry, actually I already talked about this, I already talked about this, didn't I? Basically, I like how he lays out the idea of the temporal accords, and I like how Star Trek Online eventually ran with this, so I'll just mention that and move on. This is a big exposition scene. Now, exposition is mandatory when it comes to fiction in, in most forms of fiction, the overwhelming majority, because you need the audience to know what the heck is going on. Proper exposition is an entire subcategory of fictional development. It's huge, and there are so many ways to do exposition. One of the worst ways to do exposition, not the worst, there's worse than this, but one of the worst, one of the least good, let's put it that way, ways to do exposition, is to not bang your foot this time, but to... Just sit there and do dry exposition is what it's called. It's when two characters are just talking to each other and, in other words, are talking to the audience so the audience can know what's going on. Now, that's what they do here. I think it works, though, because what's happening is Daniels is... First of all, one of the ways to help that is to have one of the characters really be into what they're explaining. And Daniels is clearly just jazzed to talk about this to, to Archer. Archer's boring, He's very Metal Gear Solid-y, just repeating things back to, to Daniels, whereas Daniels is the one holding the weight of the conversation. But then they have the audio component of the scene, where we hear this interesting music. It's one of the only times I've noticed the music in this show. And the, the sound of the scanner. And then the visual design of the temporal scanning device itself. And the observatory. So from an audio, visual, and presentation feature, even though this is dry exposition... It comes across as not as boring, so kudos on that. So, there's this interesting scene, which kind of irritates me, actually. Uh, Daniels try, admits that Selleck helped save the ship. Then, uh, Archer says, he helped save the ship, so that's why I should trust him. Why should I trust you? And Daniels' response is, well, I know how you like your eggs. This works for some reason. Now, I'm pretty sure the reason this works is because Archer is right, because he's always right, because Daniels is the good guy and Selleck is the bad guy. But, I will also add that, in my frank opinion, um, uh, this would work for someone like Archer, who doesn't really think as much in terms of facts or reasoning, but instead just kind of goes with his gut, which, when you do too much of it, can lead to Archer. So it makes sense that he would go with that particular way to try and convince him. This then leads to an extent, a somewhat short scene, which is actually interesting. Because what happens is first, 
T'Pol says time travel's not real. Don't be ridiculous. The Vulcan Science Academy has already said that time travel isn't real. I'm pretty sure the only reason that that is there is so that we, the audience, can get another laugh at the silly Vulcans. <laughs> Once again, the whole camp counselor thing comes back. It would be like someone who... Just picture this. In a movie, someone say, Mankind's never going to fly. If we were meant to fly, we'd be given wings. Don't be stupid. And you're watching there, and there's supposed to be that little moment of... Yeah. See what this guy knows, right? That's the joke. Even Back to the Future, a film I might be covering next year, because it's in the floats right now, it does that exact thing. Yeah, oh, sure, that's totally going to happen in the future. Right. But we, the audience, know what already has happened from our perspective. I only point this out because, once again, the Vulcans are just kind of being slandered in this show, but whatever. We then see... Uh, that apparently the information the Romulans came up with in the next phase was carried forwards into the future of the Federation because he has this little phase device, which... Just keep that in mind for a bit later, okay? Then we find out that Archer is terrible at sussing people out and has no idea what he's doing. This, um... <clears throat> this leads to two interesting tidbits. First of all, Archer is fully on Daniel's side. This is part of why I say that this is another example of Archer being right. Because, well, he chooses this without any real backing or information by which to do so. And he's right. And he is right in doing so, of course. But he is so fully on board with Daniel's. And Daniel's gives him basically nothing to prove his point at all. Both T'Pol and Tucker point out very validly that this could all be some smoke and mirrors, and even by the tech they have at that point in history, they could probably do so. It is not until later, when he actually is working with T'Pol and, or excuse me, with Tucker down in engineering, that he shows off some things, including that little phase device, which might actually indicate that, hey, maybe he is actually legit. And in fact, the point at which it is made fully clear that he is, is when Silic kills him. Remember that too, I'll come back to that. So, nevertheless, Archer just fully embraces this. Sure. The other thing I wanted to mention, though, is Daniels is very coy, to the point where it actually irritates me. Now, I've been like this, too, which is probably part of why this irritates me so much. Because I hate this kind of behavior, and I ground it out of me. See, it's when you're like, oh, you know, you'll see. I mean, I'd tell you, but... You know, it's it's one of those things. And you try to maintain that air of mystery or whatever. And there's two very egregious examples of this in this episode. One, are you human? More or less. What the hell does that mean? Just, it's... Okay. Second thing. Good to know Earth's still being there. Well, I guess that depends on what you, call, what you think of as Earth or how you think of that. And it's like, okay, we get it. You're from the future. Christ. Or to smack him. This then leads to Silic, who is a villain, and acts very villainous. The evil music plays, the lighting is darker, and he is portrayed in a more mocking fashion. This is good, because if not for that, it would be a lot less clear who the bad guy was here, and we might actually have some kind of intrigue and drama in this episode. I'm being serious, by the way. See, imagine if Daniels had been portrayed in a pseudo-mysterious, you know, uncertain kind of light, and Archer's not really sure about him. Then we cut to Silic, who was portrayed in a more mysterious, uncertain light. Far, most, far less overtly villainous. No villainous music, no, you know, darkened room, and no villainous performance. 
And instead, he just tells him, so that's another faction, and he's here to deal with you, and blah, blah, blah. I think that would have been a far more interesting take, because as is, we know Daniels is the good guy, because Archer picked him, and we know Silik's the bad guy, because the entire episode is indicating it. Now, this leads to an interesting question, though. Who's lying? The episode asks this question. It's a dumb question, but it does ask the question. What I think is a far more interesting question is who wants what? Based on what we see, I think we can see very clearly what both factions want. Daniels and his faction want everyone to follow the rules. They are here to enforce the temporal accords. So if Silic was here to observe Enterprise under the wrong procedures, if he walked across the street, not at a crosswalk, if he jaywalked, in other words, Daniels is the kind of guy who would go to stop him, regardless of specific circumstances or how innocent that particular violation is. Right? Very lawful neutral. Silic wants the temporal scanner. He wants access to the observatory. The ability to see the timelines and how they're being altered live on the fly. That's very interesting, because it means they don't have that. And, um... Well, that could also mean that Silic might actually gain an upper hand on Future Guy. Interesting to think about. Either way, uh, this if you think about this for a moment, I'm going to pause, because did, did I'm sure some of you have already figured this out. But I'm going to pause here for a second to see how many of you jump in on this, because there's another little niggle here, which is probably one of the better moments of subtlety in this episode. If Silic wants the observatory thing, then that means he is specifically here for Daniels. But we know Daniels is here in order to stop Silic. You see it? This means Future Guy and, and the, the Suliban, the Cabal, have actually managed to successfully bait the temporal agency, or whatever uh, Daniels actually works for, in order to make sure he was there, in, either when Enterprise was launched or you know, retroactively putting him in. However they did it, they made sure that he would be there by inferring that there would be an alteration here. And then when they go there to actually do the alteration, what the, it is is to take the thing. It's, it's just a nice little tidbit. I'll give the episode credit on that one. So then they fight. They're in a very confined area. This is another reason I give praise to Robert McNeil, uh, is because it's really hard to get camera work and good camera work when you're in a room the size of a closet. But he does it. Good job. Really. I think he does some excellent work in this episode. I wanted to praise on this. Also, oh, Silic kills Daniels. No, he doesn't. Even within this episode, we can tell Daniels isn't killed. Silic thinks he's killing him. But we already have two pieces of information that show us that Daniels does not die here. Information piece number one. When he's shot, he kind of shatters First he kind of distorts, and then he fully shatters. You know, like a hologram would. Second point. He already mentioned earlier that Future Guy and his people could only you know, barely send themselves into the past. But now we have a much greater capacity to project ourselves into the past. <laughs> so that's not Daniels. That's the, the, the hologram that he is piloting that is in the past, r roughly stated. That also means he could insert himself very carefully and precisely if he knew what he was doing, although the calculations for that have to be insane. And, of course, got to follow protocol. So, Archer loses the phase device. I told you I'd bring back to that. I find that interesting because they could have just 
detected it and got out and got, gotten it. I mean, why not keep the uh, mobile emitter on you? Having that phase device for the future would have been an interesting tool in their kit. But no, it has to fall out the thing, so they lose it. Sure, whatever. And then the episode comes comes to a conclusion in a weird way. It ends like a mystery. Like one of those, it's like, oh my god. The episode really drags out the idea that this is not over. What could be happening next? And on the one hand, I was just like, oh, come on, really? Because I know this isn't really going to be followed through on. But if I ignore my knowledge of the future, I kind of like it. Because it has the same power that Conspiracy's ending had. You remember that? Beep. 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 Because of the power of that ending, that... It's it's not quite a mystery. It's more like a... And it's not quite a to-be-continued. It's kind of in between the two. It's a to-be-mystery-continued. Sure, we'll call it that. Where something ends in a way that you know something else is coming, and you know it's going to resolve in some way, but you're not sure how and what or when. And that's kind of what I like about this. And, of course, this then posits the idea that the Temporal Cold War will be back, because clearly it's the main plot arc of Enterprise, right? Right? I did like this episode. Uh, more in a vacuum than with regards to the rest of the series. But I do, I do like this episode. I hope you have enjoyed I'll see you next time.